Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. And if, in fact, we continue to keep opportunity open to everybody, then, yeah, we're going to have a woman president, we're going to have a Latino president, we'll have a, a, a Jewish president, a Hindu president. Uh, you know what? Who knows who, who we're going to have? I suspect we'll have a whole bunch of mixed-up presidents at some point that nobody really knows what to call them. We have a new leader of the free world, folks. United States President Donald Trump took his oath of office yesterday. People protested. Starbucks is calling in insurance, and I truly just don't know what to think of it. I'm Vikas Shunker, your host of this Fireside Chai podcast. We're inaugurating Fireside Chai today with the first episode. East to West, hard work yields the best. Fireside Chai is a news podcast dedicated to the discussion of Indian American issues. I invite you to brew a cup of chai, tea, or coffee, pour a glass of beer or wine, whatever suits you, and listen as we explore the nooks and crannies of Indian American culture, tradition, religion, politics, and more. On this episode, I will recount the story of the first group of Indian Americans immigrating to the United States. The story is part of research compiled by Inder Singh, who has been an advocate for Indian Americans for more than 30 years. You will also hear my phone interview with Mr. Singh, who talked with me about his own experience immigrating to America. We talk about the changes in attitudes towards Indian Americans throughout the decades. But first, let's take a look at the news. Unless you live under a rock, you know that Donald Trump is United States president. But there is other news that you may not have heard about. My father came to America with $8, a one-way ticket, for the pursuit of the American dream. He taught us to work hard and to appreciate what it is to be American. And when I was asked to perform, I asked him what he thought, and he just thought it was an incredible, incredible honor. And that was a fulfillment of his American dream. That was an Indian-American music performer from California. His name is Ravi Jagotia, talking with HLN's Michaela Pereira on her show Wednesday. Ravi, who goes by DJ Ravi Drums, shrugged off criticism for accepting an invitation to perform at President Trump's inauguration. He told Michaela that he chose not to boycott the inauguration, like many other artists have, because it was more important for him and someone with his background to have pride in the country and spread peace and love through his music. The elections this year have produced a remarkable number of Indian Americans as top public servants. Several others have also been appointed to top posts. Four new Indian Americans have joined California's 7th District U.S. Representative Ami Bera uh, as Indian Americans in Congress. They are Representative Ro Khanna from California, Representative Pramila Jayapal from Washington, Representative Raja Krishnamurti from Illinois, and Senator Kamala Harris from California, who is the first American to hold office in the House of Hundred. Prosecutor Rupen R. Shah has become the first Indian American judge in Virginia. And new Cupertino, California Mayor Savita Vedyanathan has been lauded by local media outlets as the first Indian American woman elected as a mayor. South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, an Indian American, was selected by President Trump as the American ambassador to the United Nations. 
Trump appointed a campaign strategist, Raj Shah, as his deputy assistant and deputy communications director. Latest reports from ABC News and other media say he also is selecting Ajith Pai to head the FCC. Federal government aside, another first is set to hit the air tonight. Comedian Aziz Ansari is slated to be the first Indian American to host Saturday Night Live. I wouldn't be surprised if I missed some other firsts, so if I missed anyone, please let me know and I'll add them to the next episode. In other news, two Indian Americans have been convicted for major corporate crimes. The Miami Herald is reporting that 44-year-old Naveen Shankar Subramanyam Xavier pleaded guilty to 15 counts of wire fraud, ripping off investors of a $29 million in a Ponzi scheme, while also stealing $1.5 million from South Carolina State by dangling non-existent jobs over an economically struggling region. He could face up to 20 years for each count and a $250,000 fine. The Boston Herald is reporting that 49-year-old Amit Kanodia was convicted of conspiracy and securities fraud after giving insider trading tips to friends resulting in $1 million in profits. He will face 20 months in prison, in addition to two years supervised release, 100 hours of community service, a $200,000 fine, and forfeiture of his quarter share of the profits. That's about $250,000. That wraps it up for this episode's news update. Stay with us after this break, and we'll go back to 1899, when the first documented Indians arrived in the San Francisco Bay. It was the era of Queen Victoria, Empress of India. The English forces included a Sikh regiment from the Indian Army for her Diamond Jubilee in 1897. The Indian soldiers traveled back home to India through Canada, another land subject to British colonial rule. The soldiers, many of them farmers back home, heard of the opportunities in Canada, of the fertile land in the valleys of California, of the lumber industry of the U.S. Northeast. They told their friends and family about the potential for a new life. On April 5, 1899, four Punjabis who served in the British Royal Artillery in Hong Kong landed in San Francisco legally and were granted permission from the U.S. Immigration Service to help attract other immigrants. It worked. Indians, many from Punjab, traveled to work menial jobs in poor working conditions to build a new life. No matter what religion or ethnic makeup they were, Indians were all called Hindus. These new foreigners were strange and awkward to U.S. citizens, with their long beards and turbans. Indians were also kindly labeled ragheads. Treated as a second-rate population, the Indian immigrants worked together, cramming into menial housing to save the paltry wages to pay off debt. Records indicate the number of legal Indian immigrants totaled 1,967 by the year 1907, but that didn't include the hundreds entering through the Canadian border illegally, prompting citizens rallying to curb the, quote, tide of the turbans and Hindu invasion of America.
The influx of Indian origin people led to a backlash and organization of the Asiatic Exclusion League. I'll get into what the Asiatic Exclusion League was in another episode, but for now it's safe to assume it was an anti-immigration nationalist movement. It was a movement born of hate and economic strife. On September 4th, 1907, a mob of white citizens, many from the Asian Exclusion League, attacked Indian homes in the town of Bellingham, 85 miles north of Seattle and just 20 miles from the Canadian border. They smashed windows, pulled Indians from their beds, stole jewelry and bank passbooks, and ransacked homes. Like cattle getting ready for a slaughter, they herded about 200 immigrants and shoved them in the city hall for the night, attempting to scare them back to India. You see, the Bellingham Riot was a culmination of what we may be seeing in a more contemporary form today. Indians provided the lumber and shingle mills of the area a reliable, hard-working source of labor willing to work cheap. In 1907, about 250 Indian contract workers accepted the jobs that white laborers refused to do. The unskilled white laborers, which were organized into unions, marched in unity, vowing to not allow Indians to take their jobs. It worked, and much of the Indian workforce left to nearby towns such as Everett. But history repeated itself, and on November 5, 1907, more than 500 men attacked Indians in Everett and robbed them. Down south in California, similar situations played out in Marysville, Live Oak, and other communities. Some appealed to the British ambassador, being the British subjects they were, but they received no help. They were ignored instead. And I'll, I'll have to make an editorial note here. I can't even imagine being in that situation. You leave your home in search of a better life. You work hard, work through unfair wages, through rough conditions. Even your own government refuses to help you. For what? Humiliation? Pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, Families pushed through the fiercely negative perceptions and hate. In the early 1900s, U.S. citizenship was reserved for free white men. Indians with their lighter-skinned complexions sometimes qualified. However, INS officials started contesting this, and it led to a U.S. Supreme Court case, which resulted in Indians being allowed to naturalize into the states. However, because they weren't supposedly white, they were ineligible to become U.S. citizens. The decision actually led to a decline in the number of legal Indians in the country by the 1930s, as the INS started enforcing the decision. On top of that, a 1917 Act of Congress, over President Woodrow Wilson's veto, virtually barred all Asians from legal entry into the states. The fight for citizenship then relied on community activism over the next several decades. If the names of J.J. Singh, Syed Hussain, Krishanalal Sridharni, Mubarak Ali Khan and Taraknath Das don't ring a bell, I highly suggest you to look them up. These are the trailblazing activists that launched lobbying efforts with members of Congress. Among them was Dalip Singh Saud, who would later become the first Indian American to be elected to Congress. Eventually in 1946, with President Harry Truman's help, Congress passed 
the loose seller bill, granting Indian nationals in the United States the right to citizenship. Truman signed it on July 2, 1946. According to census data, Indian immigrants totaled some 12,000 in 1960. That increased to 51,000 10 years later, and in 1980, 206,000. Adding U.S.-born Indian Americans raised that 1980 figure to more than 361,000. Census 2010 data claims that number is about 2.8 million. Today, the hot issue with Indian immigration is the H-1B visa, due in part to the high demand for tech industry workers. Unskilled workers from India are finding jobs at Indian-owned restaurants, hotels, and shops, among other areas. Large national organizations have formed, including the National Federation of Indian American Associations, Indian American Forum for Political Education, and the Association of Indians in America. And children of immigrants have started to spread throughout all professional fields, including medicine, engineering, business, politics, and the media. Today, according to the Pew Research Center, Indian Americans stand out in economic success with a median annual household income of $88,000. That's higher than the Asian American average of $66,000 and the United States average of almost $50,000. A whopping 70% of Indians have a college degree, with more than half of those earning an advanced degree. Perhaps non-coincidentally, family is very important in Indian American households. 71% of Indian Americans are married, while 64% say they have a successful marriage, and 78% say being a good parent is one of the most important things in their lives. How did this happen? How did we get from ragheads to one of the most successful demographics in the country? You'll get a glimpse through an interview with Indian American community leader Inder Singh after this break. conversation is my interview with writer and community leader Inder Singh. Mr. Singh is an executive trustee with a global organization of people of Indian origin, an organization he helped create. He co-founded the Asian and Pacific American Republicans Coalition, the Indian American Heritage Foundation, and he has been involved with many more organizations. After immigrating to India in the 60s and attending college in Los Angeles, Mr. Singh noticed he had trouble getting a job. After doing master, I stayed on in this country and adopted it as my home. So now literally I have been here for almost 50 years. Can you describe that process? Because I'll give you the example. My grandfather, my my dad's father, um, he went to, he actually came to the University of Indiana and he got his PhD there. Um, But then he just kind of went back to the country. Um, we went back to India. So we, what, what made what made you want to stay stay here? We soon after we applied for. We soon after finishing, we got eighteen months, as any degree holder was getting time to practice in his field or get job in my field. And uh, at that time, then we during that time frame, uh, we applied for immigration and uh, the employer sponsored it 
and within a year or so at that time we got it so we stayed on and slowly and slowly it became our home we missed india in the beginning we had a good jobs both me and my wife we had a very good jobs back home in punjab but we also had relatives here okay however right. not in... difficult at that time getting immigration we are talking of beginning of late late 60s and beginning of 70s immigration was not an issue at that time america needed engineers and computer doctors all kind of people at that time badly needed and uh, so they had also liberalized the immigration laws in late 60s so we were one of the uh, beginners who applied and got uh, immigration now when uh, when you came to 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 the united states um uh, were there any issues that that you faced um now i i know you know i you know me and i guess a lot of people born in the millennial generation you know uh indian americans you know we haven't really faced the same i guess maybe even level of scrutiny or or anything like that you know compared to what you guys may have faced uh when you came uh to 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 this country i particularly did face lot of issues uh for one thing i am sick with turban beard and turban at that time and it was a hippie era when i started looking after my finishing schooling and when i started looking for a job it was easy to uh, get interviews and when you go for interview it was not easy to get an offer mm-hmm. so so although my relative uh, was college professor and he had beard and turban but all our other friends who we made friends and they were in job situation they were already working they said that if you go to become college professor or if you are a medical doctor maybe you will not have to sacrifice but otherwise if you are looking to go to the industry which in my case was that i was in computer field and we have so i had no choice but to sacrifice and then once i got my hair cut then i finding a job was not at all difficult okay so 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 it was really is really you know the um the fact that it was easier for you get for you to get a job when when you didn't have I, you know fact, facial hair and turban in fact the my qualifications and uh, uh the interview whatever i did i had worked in india so prior to that because coming and i was in a Uh, middle class job uh, they call in india gazetted job so that kind of situation so i uh, had worked there also and i uh, interview as well as qualifications and some experience you can call it uh, finding a job was not difficult at all during that time and as i said the america needed professionals badly at that time so uh, uh, finding a job was not a problem uh you you know you you were kind of describing the uh, uh 
the attitude towards Indian Americans, you know, when when you when you started working and you know when you came to this country, and obviously it's 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 changed quite a bit um, from what it was today. Uh, it has changed, and can you just describe how it, it has changed? Uh, remember when we came in seventies, eighties, even nineties, Indians were still considered coming from a very backward country where there are Roman cows and snake charmers, etc. <laughs> yeah. And our image overall by people of that generation in America was not that great. And our community, because it came highly educated, our 7-Eleven motel people had not come into picture as yet. They were just dealing with the highly skilled professionals, doctors, engineers, etc., etc. So we tried our being in professional category. It started improving our image, but very slowly. Our yeah. relation, India's relationship with America was also not that great. Then the time, the era comes when Clinton was, became the president. He actually had started changing somewhat with George Senior Bush. But again, they also started realizing the value of the Indian community professional. And uh, Reagan was the first president of United States who brought one Indian into as a presidential appointee. Mm -hmm. He was the first Asian, Asian, not only Indian, first among Asian to be appointed as the Senate approved uh, position member of Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, Dr. Joy Cherian. Okay, and so 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 I, I guess I guess um do you, do you feel like there is a sense of you know we are where we are today because of you know the progress that not only Indian Americans have made in this country but also that India has made on the world stage. Uh, definitely, also our next generation, the children born and raised in this country, they also played their part because Indians. If there is a school, in a school, there is an Indian boy, a girl, and naturally the pressure of the parents, they started doing so well in school, and they came to be recognized, oh, he is Indian, he has to be very good in math, and he has to be stopping in the class. <laughs> and that image started, and when they, these guys started becoming achievers themselves, whether it was in uh, spelling bee or various competitions or getting in SAT and ACT, getting top grades uh, every time. Uh, you, you know, the image, as I said, it was a multiple factor. But the factor that really started contributing is America's recognition, particularly when George Bush came, somehow he clicked with uh, uh, Prime Minister Manmohan Singh, mm -hmm. and 
he started getting recognition uh, he was being honored in the white house uh, prime minister mamon saying he made frequent uh, few trips over here every time he came he was given by the president uh, some lot of respect and honor uh, subsequent prime minister got even more uh, but fact of the matter is when india got respect the indians in usa also started getting more respect as i said there were multiple factors we in we in united states ourselves made lot of contributions to america in various fields field of education our people started getting recognition we got two governors in 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 usa we got another congressman who later on became governor also i wanted to get your take uh, as, as someone who has you know seen how the, the country's response and attitudes towards indian americans through several presidencies uh, and it kind of paid attention to that uh, how, how do you feel about you know the next four years do do you think that this is kind of um kind of a, a a new era for indian americans um a time for change or do you feel like you know as you said before it's just part of that sl- uh, that slow moving but steady progress we we had barely only one congressman suddenly we have got now four congressmen mm-hmm. and uh, suddenly uh, a, a one whom we claim uh, to be an indian whose mm-hmm. mother was definitely an indian father was not an indian at all mm-hmm. but we claimed her to be an indian you know uh, if a governor gets elected as president or a senator gets elected as president you can predict what he has been in his past political career mm-hmm. and you can predict that yeah he he is this guy has never been never held any government official government position on a government job or in any elected position he has been businessman and successful one whatever tricks he has used in business is same kind of tricks that most of the businesses probably used and it is not as easy to predict what how would he be i i think uh, republican party's image definitely in the short haul will improve among indians but even two years first two years will tell us whether he has done anything for what whether mm-hmm. for the country i i believe in the slogan that he gives the country has believed in the slogan that he has been uh, giving that he is for america and he wants to promote america first rather than any other country first and he uh, wants to bring jobs back he wants to uh, grow industry here i'm all for it mm-hmm. and we want we should we should educate our own people even though we may have to and they should become the backbone of this country not not uh, uh, what he is saying he does, he wants to promote his own people his own uh, people educate them educate them we indians 
have come up to the level where we are what for how education yeah. education yeah okay and if you go into americans they have the same brain we don't we don't come up with a special brain which it, it is all motivation it is all uh, whether it is a parental motivation or self motivation uh, and and I, I i totally agree i i think it's uh from 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 what i've read from what i've seen it's it's really you know the the, the way that indians indian, indian americans uh view education uh, the importance that we place on it um i guess uh uh, and and that's something that i've kind of also come to the realization you know no matter what happens on the on the national international scale if if we you know just kind of focus on educating ourselves and make that a primary part of our lives that could uh we we can um get through anything you know bad and if if there's if there's something good that comes out of um uh Donald Trump, as you said, he's unpredictable. So if if uh, if he ends up becoming uh, a very you know great advocate for policies that are positive to Indian Americans, then you know that's great. But if not, then you know we're prepared to um, you know stand on our own two feet. Absolutely, absolutely. That just wraps up the first episode of Fireside Chai. I would like to thank Inder Singh for his time and eagerness in helping give us an understanding of the history of Indian Americans. I would also like to thank you, the listener, for making it through the first episode of Fireside Chai. You really don't know how much I appreciate it. Now it's your turn for discussion. Please comment with your thoughts on the first episode. What did you like? What did you not? How can I make this podcast better for you? Also, subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Blueberry. Click on the link on our website, firesidechai.com, or search Fireside Chai on your favorite podcast source. You can comment on the Facebook page at Fireside Chai, tweet or retweet us at Twitter handle at Fireside Chai, comment on our discussion board underneath the Episode 1 podcast page. To send private messages, send an email to firesidechai at gmail.com. Also, you can Facebook message at the Facebook page. I'm looking for some live music clips for the podcast. Much of the music in this episode were free audio samples, but I'd like to get some true live clips from great musicians. Let me know if you'd like to contribute. I'm working several leads to feature on the next episode of Fireside Chai, so I don't have a set date on when it'll come out, but I hope to give you an update on the Facebook page by Monday. Again, thank you for listening. Until our next Chai.